Recorded climate data for the modern era spans 137 years. Global average temperatures for August 2016 made for the hottest month of August ever recorded. It was also the 16th sequential month of record monthly temperatures. In other words, the 16 warmest months of the past 137 years are the 16 most recent months. 2016 year-to-date averages ensured a 99% certainty that 2016 would continue the warming trend and surpass 2015 as hottest year on record. Once 2016 concludes, the 16 years between 2001 and 2016 will all be a part of the top 17 hottest years. What one year from before 2001 sandwiches itself right in the middle? 1998 which was the most recent El Nino event prior to the turn of the millennium and one of the strongest El Ninos of the 20th century. Carbon dioxide is approaching 405 parts per million. Never before in any part of human history or prehistory has the concentration been as high. Sea level rise is almost double the 100-year average. The current rate is an increase of 3.4 millimeters per year and increasing. Arctic sea ice is tied for second lowest surface area on record, leading to just this month an almost 800-foot cruise liner sailing the Northwest Passage for the first time. Nations of the world are aligning to combat the threat of climate change. The Paris Climate Agreement is likely to reach the requirements needed to become enforceable in 2016. 188 sovereign states have signed the agreement and 60 total nations have ratified the agreement. The requirement for the agreement to enter into force under the United Nations is 55 nations ratifying, but these nations must represent 55% of the world's greenhouse emissions. Only 48% has been met so far. Russia alone could move the agreement into force. The standing commitments from countries such as France, Poland, New Zealand, Hungary, and South Korea more than matched the percentage required. The agreement is comprehensive. That's a first for any type of climate agreement, but it isn't very enforceable, representing little more than a verbal agreement among nations. Ratification can continue until April 21, 2017. So why the rush and influx of countries ratifying now? First, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon leaves office next year. Also, not to be vain, but U.S. politics looms large. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump believes climate change is a concept manufactured by China and he wants to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. Libertarian presidential candidate Gary Johnson says not to worry about climate change because the sun will envelop the earth, but he seems to have no plan for what to do in the nearly 8 billion years between now and then. The international thought is, Get this thing going and in place and as enforceable as possible before President Obama's replacement is selected in another month or so. Just in case. And that brings us to today's discussion. Climate change. This is Multinew Media.
climate change is likely the largest challenge that generations living today will ever face. The source of this problem, and the solution, are all deeply intertwined with the worlds of business and technology. Global warming will lead not only to positive technological innovations, but also potentially negative cultural upheaval and mass migrations caused by changing weather patterns and loss of agricultural sustainability. Political and economic institutions face a challenge, change, adapt, and evolve into new structures that reflect 21st century realities, or risk being erased from existence by time and circumstance. In the upcoming segments, Chase Raz is first joined by Chris Ayers, and then later by Christopher Woodward, to discuss the current state of affairs in recognizing and addressing climate change. All right, so with me is Chris Ayers. Chris, this is episode 50, and we're doing something a little bit special talking about climate change. And that's I normally. Know why. We're in Florida and it's hot out. Yeah, it's normally a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, though, but we, we really have some opportunities to relate this back to technology and business and everything else. Here it goes. I have to ask the question I ask all the time of you Chris, how you doing? Doing good. Let's just jump straight into it. What is your opening position with climate change? Where do you stand? What's the first thing you think of when you hear the term climate change? Um, I think of the evidence that demonstrates that humans are the primary cause of change that is making the planet hotter, causing more melts in the ice caps, uh, causing sea levels to rise, and... Um, we're making things worse and we're killing animals in the process. Does this we're, get... we're eliminating their habitats and then they have nowhere to go. What do you see happening in the long run? If you read lots of science fiction, most of them involve us ruining the planet and going into space or going. So somehow we survive not ruining our spaceships like we ruin the earth, but that's a different story. <laughs> I never thought about that. So we destroy the planet, but our spaceships are fine. And then we go Isaac destroy them off. We destroy the next planet. Uh, yeah, I mean, th this is the usually we ruin the planet. And we want to push out and take over other land, and you know we're like we're like locusts and termites who just kind of come and you know the aliens that always come and steal our planet and and move on. It's actually usually us that seem to do that in the sci-fi. We're yeah, we're just mirroring ourselves in entertainment. So why uh, why do we do this? What's what's the cause of human-driven climate change? Short-sightedness versus long-term uh, goals. Can we make an argument, though, that it's innovation and progress? And cheap. So it's cheaper to burn oil than it is to research and develop new solar techniques. It's cheaper to build on the existing engines and frameworks than it is to develop an entirely new ecosystem of uh, like electric cars, which is why... Tesla was trying to set up that supercharger network all up and down the, the West Coast because, you know, it's the chicken and the egg problem. You buy an electric car without a charger, you know, and that's why they were giving away their patents for free. Say anybody can use them. Just to try to get some innovation out there into the world. Right. So let's exactly. take let's take the, you know, a 10,000 foot yes, view. I'm, I'm liberal, too. Well, where does that factor in? <laughs> you know, I'm talking about tree huggy. 
hippie thanks. Well, that I think that's the point of this episode and why I wanted to do this as the as the fiftieth episode special because I I don't know if anymore environmentalism is viewed as the tree hugger hippie mentality. We're looking at you know well, it's also high tech these days. It is they've high got, tech. They've got bacteria trying to build, uh, produce oil, bacteria trying to break down plastics. Tesla's, uh, you know, Elon Musk, electric cars, all that stuff's pretty cool. So there is a hip factor in, in that stuff today. Some people still look at it poorly. I, I just don't know why we haven't gone back to some nuclear power stuff. We've got plants that are 60, you know, or not 60 years old, but from the 60s and 70s that we haven't modernized as much. Now, that's a controversial topic in and of itself. But, you know, we have so many people in this day and age that that view climate change as one either it's happening and it's not human caused oh they're denying a lot there's a lot of people denying and this and then there's the flat out climate deniers who don't even think it's happening and with those two categories i haven't even touched on the the uh, sort of the religious aspect of it of you know what a creator endowed us with this planet it's our job to utilize it yeah it's also it's to shepherd it you don't shepherd things by killing them (laughs) I'm just saying semantic-wise, if, if you're the religious type, you know, to have dominion over, okay, sure, fine. Dominate them. If you want to grind it into the dust, sure, do that. But I am trying to indicate that the subset of religious people who have that viewpoint are probably not in line with semantic and phrasing and, and logic. Okay. You're going to do the political. I'm not going to disagree. I'm just going to move forward. What we do have is a situation where other people have beliefs and constantly refute the situation. In the earlier intro, I was talking about some of the presidential candidates and the fact that there are all these conspiracies out there that, uh, you know, global warming is a is a hoax, that it's uh, a manufactured concept, that it's a moot concept. Is there any urgency in global warming and climate change, or is it just something that Hey, you know, we we caused it. We're going to eventually move off our energy sources anything uh, anyway, so why do anything about it? I, I mean, if you were to assess right now, 2016, are we year 2000 Al Gore, the sky is falling, or are we, you know, these presidential candidates who are, yeah, whatever? Well, I'll probably start with saying I am not a climate change scientist. I am not a meteorologist. I am not a climatologist. So... I am doing what the, the the common, you know, information seeker does. I'm trying to do research. So I, I don't have my, – my opinion doesn't have a lot of weight. I mean I just want to preface what I say with that. Well, there's um, there's that. Let's pause there for a moment if, if we can. <laughs> Where are you getting your information? Because I think right. this is a major point of contention in a okay. lot of arguments. So I'll, I'll preface with I'm doing research now. I think that part of the difference with the research that me and you are both doing, um, you know, I'll compare this to another topic that I think kind of the same along along the lines of, um, like anti-vax people. They are not doctors, and they research on the internet. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of the sources are self-referential, or they just hear about it on Facebook or Twitter, and that is their source. Self-referential, as you said, and not peer-reviewed. Right. Or they refer to a, a study that's been debunked, disproven, and refuted by numerous other studies. Bad sources all around. I'm kind of going to NASA 
um, you know, who's been doing atmosphere monitoring for a long time, NOAA, different universities that have meteorology programs that actually conduct research and, and, and look at patterns over time. They try to look at the observations, match them up. Or, you know, they'll have a model that they will have a prediction for the following year and look at the observed data and see how it matches up. It, it's not a yes or no. It's a, a very iterative process using the scientific method, making a hypothesis, see if it works, refining, instead of just, I believe. You know, I, I want some facts, I want some supporting, and it will lead me to a conclusion. So data and data modeling all the way. That's the way I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, should should everybody go that way? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there. Shouldn't everybody go that way? Yes. Basing in you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna choose product A or product B, you want to know the price, you want to know the durability, the quality, the customer service available, right? But wouldn't we want to do the same people, thing? Yes, but too many people might go. Well, this famous person says this, or I saw it on Facebook, or my gut says that. I usually try to quantify things by having some sort of facts or or data behind it to lead to those conclusions instead of just I believe. It's a tough sell, uh, but you know, uh, just observe a closed space that something is happening with carbon and methane release and show the result that happens. So one of the things about the Earth is it radiates heat all the time. We're radiating heat out into the cold of space. But we're also absorbing heat from the sun all the time. So there's that balance that's kind of hard to model. Um, that's why, you know, I don't know if you remember when Japan got uh, one of their supercomputers going a couple years ago is specifically to s- study climate and weather patterns and stuff. I think they were trying to do it to predict storms. But that heat exchange of, of radiating heat and absorbing heat into the atmosphere, the water sources evaporating and then condensing up in the clouds that the white clouds cause reflection which is another aspect to take into account because it reflects the heat back out in the space it doesn't absorb it in there's so many different aspects it's so hard to understand in a simplistic model i think one of the things that i've been interested in uh, over the past couple of years is trying to identify ways you know, that I can get involved in the conversation. What are things I can do every single day? And I feel a little bit of guilt when I'm in the car and doing a really long commute. You know, I commute a lot, um, several times a week. And uh, sometimes on the weekends, I like to go out places that are, you know, within a day trip or so. And I I drive probably 30,000 miles a year. So I try to get a more uh, fuel efficient car, um, try to do X, Y, and Z. But I, I guess I'm kind of at a loss um, of things that I can do beyond completely changing my job and, and working next door or working from home, I'm not just going to jump out and buy a $20,000 solar panel array. There's some simple things you can do that I have, I've actually done. So the first thing I started doing was I, I got a programmable thermostat. Now, most power companies have programs where they'll come out and put in a programmable thermostat. They'll do the free. installation or even yeah. provide it. And they'll even give you special rates if you're using one of theirs. And, and they'll say, hey, you'll get better rates during these hours and you'll get maybe normal or higher rates during like maybe peak. And, and they'll help you program it or adjust it. I ended up getting a Nest, the learning thermostat. Yeah. And I love my Nest. It has a whole bunch of features that are specifically designed to 
maybe turn off the AC and run the fan to circulate the air that's already cooled. Um, turn it off when you're not home. Turn it on, you know, right when you walk in or or have the schedule. And we've seen our energy bill go down quite a bit, which means we're using less energy. The other thing is replace all your older light bulbs with either LED or compact fluorescence. That's a real good one. And in um, and it's simple. Let's see. 2009, I, I went as far LED as I could. And one of the difficulties back then was, first of all, LEDs were prohibitively expensive. But I, I, I made the decision, sometimes up to like $20 a bulb. And I made the decision to do it. I put the money into it. And I had a little bit of an issue. There were some rooms that I had to go back to CFLs or even regular, um, you know, tungsten-based light bulbs because mm-hmm. the light output wasn't very high at the time. Now, four dollars, five dollars uh, for a, a you know relatively high-end bulb, you can get a pack of two sometimes for five dollars, and the light output is is very very consistent with you know what you what you probably grew up with using tungsten. So. Uh, that's that's a really good idea that I think a lot of people could switch over to LED lighting. The power company had a weatherization program. They came out, and if you needed it, they'd put a like an insulating blanket on your hot water heater. They could do a programmable hot water heater. To, like if you're traveling, turn it off. Um, a couple of my friends are, for both cost and conservation, are switching to the tankless water heaters tankless and uh some power companies i know my local municipal power company we don't have a major conglomerate we have a municipal one and they'll do a program of putting a solar uh water heater in so it's a regular it's a regular water heater but it's just like a pool it'll pump water up to the roof and and um get heat energy that way you know i really kick myself for not doing that there was a cost associated with it They, they put it in free they give you the water heater and everything but I think it was something like $15 a month indefinitely. Um, and I, I don't know why I stalled out on it. But then I had an issue with a leak in the house and with the water heater. And I ended up spending something like $3,000 between the new water heater installation and permits. When, you know, had I just pulled the trigger on this, would have gotten a nice new free water heater, solar, uh, and installation. So I'm, I kind of regret not doing the solar uh, solar water. Those are some of the easier ways. I mean, I I usually shoot for fuel-efficient cars, so I like mm-hmm. at least 30 miles to the gallon. That's why I'm um, driving have, a Toyota again. I, I drive a Honda, but they do have you know ones out there that are 40, 50. You can get the hybrid cars. You can get the electric cars. It, it, it all depends on your budget and, and uh, what your driving patterns are. Some of them are better in cities. Depends on if you have to drive long distances often. You know, if you go electric or not electric. I think we're building a good list here. We have lighting. We have programmable controls for for climate control. Uh, We're talking about automobiles. You don't have to go so far as to put your own power plant in your backyard with solar or wind. Um, Uh, Power company even said ceiling fans are great. Um, If you have your ceiling fan on, it's supposed to make you feel two to three degrees cooler. Right. So you can save a couple degrees on your thermostat. Keep those suckers on all the time is something that we just know to do in Florida. In fact, when I bought my house, it had zero ceiling fans. My first home upgrade, it was, I think the day I got the keys, was to drive down to the home. uh, It was either Home Depot or Lowe's. And I picked up four ceiling fans just like that. First thing. 
um, really does work, lowers the cost. And appliances are another area that I think... You're talking about like Energy Star, trying to get an Energy Star uh, rated fridge or... So a fridge is a huge cost. You know, you can get a fridge for from hundreds to a couple thousand, but we had an older fridge and we switched to a newer fridge and our power bill dropped significantly. Right. Um, just because of the efficiency and the insulation and... Fridges are a little problematic, though, because, you know, having shopped for one just casually recently, um, it, that price has gone up. And I mean, a basic normal size, the, the what is it, 25 and whatever cubic feet, really starts at about a grand these days. You can get a nice sale and go for uh, the high hundreds. But, I mean, you're talking one to two thousand dollars for yeah. the average American well, our, household. Um, washers and dryers also. You, you can get some energy savings. Depends upon, you know, if they reuse the water and... You know, the side loading versus top loading. There's all different ways to conserve on, in that regards. Does I mean, I guess um, that all of this has a higher importance to us here in Florida to some degree because we're already experiencing, uh, you know, south of where we live in the Miami area, um, pretty frequent street flooding um, during weather events that wouldn't have flooded the, the streets before and, and breach of the seawalls in Miami. Uh, the more that moves to higher up a little bit, the more that we start seeing the, that type of behavior in Tampa and Daytona and uh, Jacksonville, um, it, it, it really kind of is concerning us here. Now, out in California, uh, they've had not only their hottest but their driest year in quite some time. When we talk about climate change, why is warming not the primary factor? So you don't see the same change everywhere. And you don't see the same change all the time, which is why um, it, you almost think of a rubber band. Like things have been disrupted and it's like springing back and forth um, because the cycles have kind of been disrupted so much. And I know here in Florida, you know, we've seen more El Nino hurricanes hitting or, or you know, we've had a couple more stronger ones hit lately. Right. We, we had we've, quite a dry spell for, what, 10 years or so prior to this year, which is yeah. completely um, abnormal. And then, um, a little bit of activity this year, um, maybe yeah. even higher than normal. Right. So we're seeing hurricanes. Um, I know in Tampa, we get lots of flooding every time it rains heavily out in California, like you said, because of the heat, there's been droughts and because of however many reasons there are for, for that drought going on, you know, that's causing some forestation issues, which, you know, landslides, fires, all of those kind of feed into each other. What if you live in a city and don't, you know, have to have a vehicle and can utilize mass transit? What type of options do they have available to them? You have the climate, uh, climate controls and the light bulbs and stuff in your house, but you know that you can't do a lot of impact on some of the, um, the cars and driving stuff. You can look at your consumption of, you know, buying devices and products and waste. Um, you can look at your travel and travel plans, but I think that one of the biggest things a lot of people can do is actually look at the data, research data, and maybe try to vote people in that believe this and and can see the value of the data and the models and not walk into Congress holding a snowball going, you know, global warming isn't real. Right, and uh, you know, I guess it doesn't follow down any particular <laughs> party line either. Um, here in the U.S., yeah, I guess it does, but um, it shouldn't. Is my point, and and making 
you know, making informed voting decisions really is a way that we can get some type of activity, um, even if we don't have anything directly within our control otherwise. So you mentioned um, Al Gore mm-hmm. and an inconvenient truth. Right. been meaning to pull I, that out and watch it. I want to see what has been accurate and what has been overstated and what's been understated. I think that'd be interesting to do. So th- that ties in with um, there were some things blown out of proportion in the 60s and 70s about nuclear weapons. I, I know that Sagan and some other people were predicting, you know, blowing up the planet thousands of times over. Right. And some of it got blown out of proportion. And and, and Gore probably, um, I'll admit, I, I actually haven't seen an inconvenient truth. When it came out, um, I was just out of high school and more concerned with my daily life, I think, than the long-term impact. And I think that's what a lot of people are. It's a semi-interesting PowerPoint presentation from somewhere around the year, like 2002 or something. Right. But I'm saying in 2000, I was late teens, early 20s. Um at that point in my life, and I think a lot of people, um, they're more concerned with tomorrow than 10 years down the line or their, their grandchildren's grandchildren. And I think that is a lot of – a lot with most people. They can't take that super, super, super long view or they won't. They, they would care more about tomorrow. But I don't have the information. I don't know if there's a tipping point, a point of no return. You know, you hear with, with oil and – Fossil fuels, peak oil. Yeah. Well, once you hit this, it's only down. You know, the the, the levels only go down. You know, and that's like, a. I don't know if there's a, um, like if it's a chain reaction type of thing. Once we get to a certain point, ice has melted so much. You know, we've raised the the overall temperature so much, we can't radiate enough of it to get back to normal levels. And it's just going to keep getting hotter and hotter, and we're going to kick off and become Venus. I don't know if those models and facts are out there. Or when it crosses into scare tactics. We do know the results that uh, we can calculate have a significant cost and a significant impact. Um, Coming from the previous political conversation we were having, um, you know, we see that when there is climate change, there is more human movement. There's displacement of of populations. There is more uprising against government structures and, and or government entities and the status quo, so to speak. We've seen that time and time again, and I, I, I think we have to almost get down to a point to where, you know, there's some folks who are holding out or, or don't vote in the best interest of climate and, and maybe vote a little bit more towards the profit side, which, by the way, sustainability is extremely profitable. I just want to put that out there. But I think we may want to start reaching some of these people just by by going and saying, listen, how much do you really like Nebraska where you live or wherever they live because let me tell you everybody else is going to love it too when Florida's underwater when Hawaii starts sinking you know when an area that's that's fertile and lush and produces wheat or rice now is completely arid and dry or becomes swamp and unfarmable the types of movements that people are going to have across the globe I just absolutely cannot see a short-term profit motivation that offsets the long-term cost. Uh, that, to me, is mind-boggling why you know more businesses haven't moved in anticipation of this in the 1970s when we started to realize that the 1980s, 90s, and and you know the the entire first part of the 21st century. I don't want it to be an emotional response. I don't want it to be a fear response. I don't want it to be a 
well, I guess it's just going to keep going this way. Well, but what about a response of, I think it's the right thing to do? Is is that good or do you want strictly data? That's to me. I, I mean, I, I have no issues using renewable and sustainable energy. There's only so many dinosaurs that died. I'm sorry, the Earth's not, you know, but there's only so many dinosaurs that died. There's only so much fossil fuel. And the cost is that. the cost is going up in order to identify new sources of that right, material. And, right. So, bottom line, at some point in the future, that is a losing proposition. When you, I, I'm a big lover of sci-fi. I think a lot of that thought and exploration and supposition of, hey, what happens in a society where blah? And I realize it's the imagination of an author. Um, but, you know, you never hear or see any sort of spacefaring or futuristic things running on fossil fuels usually. Solar, the sun, and a large number of other suns and stars are producing that type of energy. Nuclear, that can be produced anywhere. Wind and water. Like, I'm just saying those are the things that I see have a future path. And once we start developing them and getting them reliable, that's when we can start improving on them. So Um, wind, water, um, which is hydro, solar, geothermal, um, nuclear. The steam engine took, what, hundreds of years to develop to the point. It was over the course of dozens and dozens of years right and the knowledge gets lost and then it comes back and then it gets lost again and then finally workable engine and and, and it kept getting refined and improved the gasoline engine you know that's improved you know over 50 to 100 years and and they're making small minor improvements but electric motors you know have have we been at the building and enhancing them for as long you know the next cutting edge is material science for like batteries and and solar um, efficiency, getting it above fifty percent, using bacteria to uh, manufacture energy sources or generate currents based on like waste. Oh, they break down our waste and they make energy. You know, it was it was some of the economies of scale in the early automobile industry that led to the use of combustion engines, where um, you know steam and electric were also being used in tandem. And I think the availability of oil and other industries already identifying and tapping those sources really just, like I said before, that economies of scale uh, thing happened and, and and sort of, you know, to steal a phrase, Bob's your uncle, there there it is. Well, the steam turbine didn't go anywhere. The steam turbine is at the heart of geothermal and uh, some solar power Sometimes plants. Sometimes solar, yeah. And at the heart of nuclear power plants. They, they make heat. Heat makes steam. Steam spins a turbine. There you go. Uh, the solar ones, a lot of them, um, the ones that you see with the, the hundreds and thousands of mirrors all pointing at a single point, they like make uh, molten salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, wait, and then they use that to... To power steam generators. There you go. I wasn't intending to keep coming back to the political part of it, but it's just so intertwined. Uh, I, I come back to the, the current political environment and I start thinking about the future. When we tend to see that people who are less interested in climate change tend to be older. Now, that's not always the case, but demographics show that they tend to skew older. Is this a situation where 40 years from now, the millennials are older and stop caring or 
do things get put into place to where we we rectify and and solve this situation or is this just an age-old generational difference i don't know well let's start with the, the first part do we solve this problem in the next 20 30 years Okay, we're speaking about political stuff at this point. So I I have certain beliefs and opinions and desires for how I want the political system to work, who I think should be elected, how you know, the direction I think things should go. I have friends that I think are intelligent, I think are smart, and we get along great on a number of things, but they have opposing political views. Um, I have one or two that are... I think quite intelligent and they don't believe in climate change. Like, like, and I, I don't know how I see the proof. I, I see research. I see data and I show this and it's like, it bounces off their head. Like just bunk. Like it, it, it <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like nonstick surface. And I'm, I'm like, how do I like, I, I'm, it's not my job to convince you. It's not my job to convert you. It's not my job to change your mind, you know, but I just don't understand. And and if you don't have an understanding of why they have those thoughts, that belief, that, that um, opinion, you can't change it. You don't know the arguments that they're making to make them lean that way. I don't get it. One of the best things we can do in that situation at least based on my experience, is to not necessarily try to convince everybody. I mean, we're going to be faced with people who simply, one, refuse to come to consensus or to believe the consensus or acknowledge it. And then there's going to be a whole other group of people who simply don't care. It's not in their purview. It's not in the scope of their life and what they uh, focus on. And I think one of the most important parts is to, at some point, Stop um, trying to convince these people and simply go do things that further this conversation with people who are already in um, in agreement and to identify solutions that we can enact every single day in our businesses, in our personal lives, in our governments, and start enacting real change. And whether those people eventually Personally, come around or not, it doesn't matter, I guess. Right. Well, that's what I, I don't want to be. Uh, someone who tries to change their mind or con- convince them or convert them, that annoys me. And I don't want to, you know, be very hypocritical and be doing that same thing. You know, if we're sitting around talk- having a beer and some news item comes up and we start talking about it, you know, we don't proceed into the logical fallacies and start attacking each other. You know, I think we're to the point where, uh, you know, we talk back and forth and we both agree to disagree or. You know, if we're debating a topic, we'll present the arguments, but it's, you know, we're just having a fun time with it. And that's completely different than the view of things that people really get frustrated with that are going across Facebook. And there's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian or a vegan, but there are some that are aggressive and, are you know, make comments about meat. Right. It's it's when somebody goes militant in one way or the when other. When they go militant and they're putting it, you're, you know your face right in it and and they're just trying to convert everybody with an earshot. That's a problem. And I don't want to do that. But when I have friends and I just, they say something that doesn't make sense to me. I try to understand why. Well, there's two considerations. One is evangelizing. So if you really believe something, you can evangelize it and not be militant. You know, I, I think the problem is much more when you become militant, right? So from my, uh, from my personal experience outside of, 
uh, climate change with weight loss and me doing this whole ketogenic thing of, of restricting carbs because they don't work for me. I stole a phrase from someone that says, no one's going to hell for eating carbs except the vegans. Okay, so I can say that to evangelize, but the second I mean it, the second it becomes anything more than a joke, that becomes militant, that becomes aggressive, that becomes hostile. Now, in, in climate change, it's the same thing. You know, we can joke about the deniers and we can kind of pick on them because, look, the rest of us are using empirical data. And if that data changes, we're going to change, change with the data. Opinions. So we can kind of joke on that. But I think that real difficulty comes when we say, you're an idiot, you're not smart, you're something's wrong with you, and they say that back to us. You've, you've crossed into the uh, logical fallacies and the ad hominem attacks at that point. Yeah, and that's just going to get us absolutely nowhere. So I think it comes back to the stuff we were identifying before. You know, change your appliances. Consider well, the vehicle you're using. Use mass transit if you can. Consider solar wind power at your at your residence if you can control such things. And, and this goes to what I was saying, and I think you just touched on a little bit. The echo chamber effect is real. If you just surround yourself with like-minded individuals, um, it, you know, your opinions and... and and sources kind of start veering um, out of objectivism, right? In, in, into more more slant, and it becomes um, harder to realize that somebody else right. does have a differing opinion. And it's harder to listen to real evidence that might disagree with your preconceptions. That's that's why they have double blind studies. It's hard to do that with with climate because we live in it, and it's hard to do that with some of this stuff, but. I actually have discourse with people with opposing views. And when I have, I, I don't like unfriend people on Facebook because they post things I don't believe or don't agree with. But there are too many people who I've seen unfriend me because of stuff I post. Yeah. Let's yep. have a talk. Let's chat about it. Been I through that experience. I don't dislike you as a person because we don't agree. You can have some pretty hateful ideas. And at that point, there might be an issue. But if it's just, you know, I I say left, you say right, and you don't like me because I want to go to the left and you want to go to the right. If it crosses some major lines, and that that's a different issue. But I'm just saying, look at the evidence. I mean, I, I actually look at some of the things um that are shared with me and sent to me. Like, look, here's why I don't believe this. Here's the evidence. I'll look at it with a little bit of an objective eye, but I also look at the sources it's coming from. And, and the research they use or the data they use or I'll follow the chain down sometimes and be like, oh, it just goes to some thing, some guy posted. There's no real evidence here. And now we move away from the conversation with Chris Ayers and get the take of Christopher Woodward. Christopher, as part of our episode 50 special on climate change, I want you to tell me something. What are your initial thoughts on the matter all things being equal, based on what you hear in the world, based on what you see in the world, where does your mind go first when we talk about climate change? When I think about climate change, uh, well, the first thing that pops into my head is is the classic, don't believe everything you read. Think about what you're reading and where it's coming from. Like so many things in our digital age now that we have, there's so much misinformation that's being pushed out there and then repeated and repeated again. When we talked off air recently about this, the first thing I said is, why do people seem to listen to everybody but the scientists when it comes to climate change? I'm not going to listen to a vegetarian about what kind of steak I should have. <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't listen to a vegetarian about anything. 
why why would I ever listen to politicians uh, who are just trying to get reelected? Or why would I listen to people who have absolutely zero mm -hmm. scientific background or credentials about something that, let's be quite blunt, is purely about science? This is science. And the environment, climate change is science. And uh, to me, it just it blows my mind how many people are, are referencing individuals that wouldn't know the difference between you know a light socket and a light bulb sometimes. <laughs> much less what's going on with our climate change and the best ways to handle this climate change. Now, I feel like you may be referencing, and you did directly reference, but I think uh, also tongue-in-cheek, you're, you're continuing to reference politicians. And, you know, as policymakers, of course, they're going to overlap with climate change because they're the people that we're looking towards to set sort of the tone and the pace of what happens but we do get this biased situation where where there's an idea of do does somebody believe in climate change or not? What what's your take on somebody who doesn't quote unquote believe in the science? <laughs> I have to choose my words carefully here because this is might be children listening. Um, if you don't believe that climate changes, do you believe in the weather? Because the weather changes, and if the weather changes, well then the climate can change. Uh, I, I think that's the the easiest analogy i can put there the sun goes down at night it gets dark it comes back up it's bright right. uh when it's winter it's cooler when it's summer it's hotter these are all changes exactly when we put more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere we get less reflection of of heat energy out into space and more back to the earth so again why can't there be change on a larger scale if you believe that there was an ice age that wiped out the dinosaurs why can't you believe that there's changes in other ways and in other directions? Um, you know, to someone that doesn't believe, honestly, I probably wouldn't even waste my time trying to talk to them because I'd have better chances uh, convincing people that the earth is flat again. Well, I, you know, I think you're right, but you also bring up something that I've never thought about before because you get into this topic of, of rhetoric. And so somebody who's a climate denier is going to view, you know, what you're saying and what I'm saying is, as rhetoric. But you bring up a good point about the dinosaurs. Yeah, okay, so we have deniers in that situation too and people who believe that dinosaurs and humans lived at the same time and we just can't help those people. They're not on our radar right now. But if you tell someone that the climate change that killed most of the dinosaurs was related to a meteor impact, we're, we're fairly confident of that scientifically. There is some, there's more doubt about that than there is about uh, you know human-caused climate change, I'll put it that way. And if you can link that back and say, right, we know that there was this meteor causing this this colder situation, this colder environment, the sun to be blocked out, impacting the, the food chain. Can we use that rhetoric to get through to somebody and say, you know what, we know what carbon dioxide does. We know what methane does. Wouldn't it just make sense that that's the cause of it? Or are people just going to absolutely deny human-caused climate change? I think people are going to deny um but the, the, I think the issue or, or the logical discussion to have is, first of all, if someone's not going to believe it, uh, I'm not interested in talking and trying to convince somebody to believe it. I'm more interested in talking to people about why technology is going to be the savior of climate change because so many people blame technology mm -hmm. and blame advancement for climate change. There's a lot of... It's because of technology, it's, it's the factories, it's this. All of these reasons, technology is bad. And we need to eliminate all technology. And my response to those people, who I would find 
or much more worthwhile to engage in conversation with is no technology is actually going to be what saves us from climate change what improves things mm -hmm. there's so much technology that is going to help us correct the mistakes of the past or at least deflect some of the issues that have occurred as a result of it what are some of the technologies that you think are going to be um, most prominent well I want to stay away from obviously everyone's thinking advanced solar you know mm -hmm. more solar in innovations and, and that gets said over and over again however I want to talk a little bit about stuff like carbon capture and uh, CCS carbon capture and storage technology mm -hmm. it basically is looking at you know we got all these refineries they're all pumping out carbon dioxide you know what if there was a way to uh, you know capture these emissions and take them out of the atmosphere uh, basically how nature stores carbon dioxide but on, on a different scale mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of technology and there's a lot of critics and back and forth because obviously whenever you start involving you know, industrial sites, people kind of get grim about it. Um, but things like that, I, I think that's something to look at. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, dispatchable wind power. Um, you know, the idea that we could have, you know, a renewable energy source other than solar. Developing a technology that replaces generators with compressors. So, you know, even further making it, you know, quote-unquote cleaner energy. Um you know, again, there's so much. Um, I was reading a thing on, on algae, on biofuels made of algae, a plant-based solution, you know, turning that, uh, using that to create a transportation fuel and a heating fuel. Right, with lower carbon output. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many advances and things being worked on that, to me, these are the technologies, these are the things that are going to help us ease off on basically a not to bring it down to a base level, but all the quote-unquote bad stuff that we've been doing in, in the decades and centuries prior. I, I kind of think that people get stuck in that idea of, well, this is how we power our planet. And we see cases where Costa Rica has gone completely sustainable for a number of months now. Um, but we also take a look over, over history. You know, people used to power, our, our primary power source was wood for a very long time. Things like wood, and then we transferred over to whale oil, and then whale oil became uh, petroleum oil and coal. And, you know, it's really just part of this evolution of human innovation and hum human manufacturing. And look, maybe we slipped into, uh, let me be a little trite about it, maybe we slipped into a few teenage years and misused the technology, uh, sort of abused our ability to create cheap energy by dirtying some things up. Um, but that's, I mean, I guess you're right in a way that's, that's part of a growing pain, right? And we can use technology to, um, prevent ourselves from doing that in the future. And hopefully this is where my fingers are crossed. Hopefully we do the right thing and clean up a little bit of the damage that we've done along the way. Agreed. I kind of want to end with this. What are some things that you think the average person can do right now? What are some things I can do? to really be a part of this conversation and to make a difference? Oh, I think the most base is just simple things like recycling. You know, think about your own uses of energy, converting. Uh, you know, so many states now have programs where, you know, you'll, you'll get really nice kickbacks if you convert to solar power. 
on things, um, you know, instead of using fossil fuels and whatnot. Uh, but it, it blows my mind because I, you know, originally emanated from New York, which had very uh, strong recycling programs, recycling laws, mm-hmm. uh, to other states, you know, where uh, recycling is, is almost ignored. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a very basic example. In New York, you were issued a recycling trash can, mm-hmm. which was the, literally the same size as your waste garbage can. In Florida, you were given a recycling bin that is approximately one-fourth the size of your waste can. Um, so just the simple fact that regardless of whatever state you're in and whatever laws apply, just more recycling. And again, thinking about converting to cleaner power, solar power, things like that. Uh, you know, for those that have, you know, different kinds of you know pool heaters, things like that. Just think about converting to a clean, renewable source. That's something that everyone can do in their own home. Uh, and sometimes, again, at very little to no expense, that can make an improvement. I hope everybody's motivated to get out and make some changes. Listen, we can go back to whether people believe in this concept or not and whether they have acknowledged and realized the fact that it is human-influenced. Um, but the bottom line is we just need to take the key and clear decisive actions that move us into the future. Part of that is addressing climate change. Part of that is just innovation. And I think the, the biggest and best thing that everybody can do is be a part of the dialogue constantly talk about this issue come up with new ideas of how to get involved to change the way things are being a part of the conversation i think is step number one at the end of the day none of these problems were created overnight and none of them are going to be solved overnight either uh as with almost any situation the best weapon is information being informed Read up on these things. Read up on what you can do to help. Read up on what companies are doing. Support companies that are trying to do, quote unquote, the right thing. Stay informed. Be aware. Are the caps going to melt and we're all going to be flooded out next year? No. Is it going to happen in 20 years? Probably not. But think about it in terms of future generations and what we're trying to do and keep things sustainable for as long as humanly possible. Because at the end, that's what it is. It's humans trying to make things possible through technology. This concludes our episode 50 special on climate change. Now it is your turn. Visit multinewmedia.com and get involved in the conversation on the episode 50 page. Or email us at feedback at multinewmedia.com. It's time to go and clean up our beautiful planet. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.